Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom belongs to such as these. And truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them and he blessed them. And as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you have probably heard this man's question before. It probably in a different way than it's framed right here. You've probably asked this question before because I know that I've asked this question a thousand times in my life. The way that we may frame this question today looks a little different than he framed it. But the way that I think we tend to frame it goes something like this. If I were to die tonight, how can I guarantee that I would go to heaven? When we hear this guy's question, when we see it framed, we, we, we probably put a spin on it that we kind of, that's how we tend to look at it. And you may have heard someone say that. You may have said that. If I were to die tonight, how can I guarantee I would go to heaven? Now, if you've been around this place very long, you're going to hear some things said in the next couple of minutes that you've heard me say a lot. And I want to say them again. I'm going to, I'm going to risk repeating myself that I've repeated myself for the past couple years because I think it's important for us to understand what's going on in this passage here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? See, here's something really interesting. When the word eternal shows up in a story of Jesus, we have to put a huge pause button on it. Because more often than not, eternal doesn't mean what we usually think that it means within the context that we're finding it. See, the word eternal in a context here, in this context, didn't mean forever like the way we think of it. Eternal in the context that we find here and what we typically find in the words of Jesus has much more to do with quality of life than quantity of life. And I want you to hear that. I want you to, this is one of those things that's hard for us to wrap our minds on because it sounds very different than how our Americanized Christianity has tended to understand these things. But I want us to not think through our lens of 2,000 years of history of Western Christianity. I want us to back up into Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, we're in this thing what we call Second Temple Judaism. This is what Jesus was grown up in. And we have to understand things through the lens of how people talked about things in that day if we're going to understand them today. So sometimes we have to peel back some layers that we may have not heard before to get back to what is actually happening in the context there. Because the context there, when we pull it back, when we begin to understand it, has so much more deeper meaning. And one way that I talk about this is it's the difference between vacuum theology and lived out theology. Vacuum theology is all about that question that we think he's starting to ask. We first look at that question, where I go when I die. It's a vacuum theology. It's an idea of somewhere else. But he's asking, how do I enter life? Look what Jesus said to these little ones. He said, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never 
enter into it. There's something happening here, something purposeful. He's blessing children. He's saying the kingdom of God belongs to them, not a kingdom of God somewhere else, a kingdom of God happening right here in this space. Now, let me back this up a little bit. Let me help us understand what's going on and why, why do we sometimes miss this and what is actually happening here. The word that we translate, eternal, is a Greek word, eon. A direct translation of this Greek word would be the English word age. Now, one way that we may use the word age is probably something like this, and you've heard it before. Where is Bob? Bob has been missing for ages. Where did Bob go? He has been gone for ages. Have you ever done this? Somebody heads off, they leave you somewhere, they go to the bathroom, you're at a basketball game, and you're like, where's Bob? He's going to miss the whole second quarter. He's been gone for an age. What is going on here, right? You've said that before. He's been gone for ages. Well, there's another way that we also talk about ages. That's one way that we talk about it. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek sort of age. Another way that we could talk about it is a term as when Bob lived. Maybe Bob was gone for ages because he actually lived in the Middle Ages. So that's a way to understand this, and that matters. That kind of silly um, uh, illustration for what ages means matters for us today. The idea of a length of time that we really can't put something on. We just put a sense to. Nobody looks and says, hey, you know, Bob's been gone for about 26 minutes and uh, 15 seconds. I don't know where Bob is at. Bob's been gone forever. Where is he, right? Or you say, he's a historic person who lived at a specific time in a certain age. Eon. That's the Greek word that shows up here that gets translated eternal. And see, in the time of Jesus, people use this word eon, age, in a very different way. And it gets translated eternal for very, very good reasons. And I want to I explain that in just a moment. But in the time of Jesus, when people talked about the ages, they talked about an age, the present age, and they talked about this thing that they referred to as the age to come. This age and the age to come. This present age that is sort of like one thing and looks sort of this way, and then this coming age that has this future thing to it. And this is, this is all throughout Scripture we can find this. People discussing this idea, this age and the age to come. Now, does that sound foreign to us? It sounds foreign sometimes. This isn't a way that we normally think about things. It's not the way that we normally understand stuff. But man, is it so important for us to understand what is going on in the story. It helps us understand the context of what's happening. It helps us understand why does this man come running to Jesus, sliding like he's trying to be safe at home on his knees to plead with Jesus to participate in this thing called the kingdom of God. Why would he do that? If he was so thinking about, well, maybe it's somewhere or something far off, why does he slide in with such incredible desperation to Jesus and say, let me take a part of what you're doing. Let me participate in this thing, Jesus. See, because in his mind, he looked at Jesus, and he didn't see Jesus as a way to vacuum himself out of this existence. When he heard the words of Jesus, when he saw Jesus talking, he heard he's talking about the age and the age to come. And the reason we translate it as eternal is because the things that Jesus were talking about were things that you could only imagine in the eternal. 
grace, forgiveness, love, and mercy. People who loved their enemies like they loved themselves. People said, that doesn't happen in this world. Maybe that'll happen in the age to come. And Jesus, in all audacity, reaches out to these people and says, listen, that is the age to come. You are going to participate in the age to come. And he pulls these little children up. Get this, he grabs these little children in his arms. The disciple says, what are you doing? You know this is faith stuff. Faith stuff belongs to adults who can comprehend, who can understand, who can get what this is all about. He looks at them and he says, no. What are you doing? The kingdom of God, this eternal stuff breaking into this age belongs to them because they will understand how to participate. They will live it out. He looks at these little children and he says the kingdom of God belongs to them. He blesses them. This is a huge deal. When Jesus blessed people, he is saying they are part of this. They have become a part of this thing that is to come. And look at children. I think this is amazing. Children are inquisitive. Children ask questions. Children don't take things the way that they are, do they? They say, why can't it be different, mom and dad? I've never met a racist child. I've met a child who's been affected by the racism of their parents, but I've never met a racist child. I see love in children that you don't see in their parents, but you see love in them. And this is why Jesus says, see the kingdom of God, it already belongs to them. The age has come. This is not for this man, for this example, for this context. This is not about this man somehow breaking into heaven. This is about this man understanding that heaven is trying to break into earth. He says, heaven is breaking in, and I want on. I want to be aboard of that thing. Let me be a part of that, Jesus. So he comes flying in. And I want you to imagine this picture. It tells us that he came flying in on his knees before Jesus. Can you imagine the ruckus? How many kids do you think this dude shoved out of his way? He just, get out of the way, I want to give me some of this. And he flops down before Jesus, and he says, Jesus, how can I participate How can I have eternal life? What do I have to do to inherit this thing that you are talking about? See, he's saying, man, I get it. He says, I get it. This isn't about going somewhere. This is becoming something. This isn't about going to somewhere else. This is about becoming someone else. And Jesus, only I I know that you're the only one that has that that can help me understand this. See, this is the context of eternal life. This is the context that's why is going on here. This is why I get so fired up about this. Because, man, vacuum theology does nothing to this present age. Vacuum theology does nothing to this world to change the way that we act. All it does is cause us to say who's in and who's out. You won't be there, I'll be there. You won't be there, I'll be there. That is the most messed up theology that makes no sense and isn't scriptural at all. That is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is that this table is big enough for everybody. And you can almost imagine this banquet table where everybody's going to sit. People you don't even want to be sitting next to are already there. And that table is already shoving into the room. And you're like, I, I want to sit there. I want to be a part of that. This is the kingdom breaking into this world. And you've been invited to participate in it. 
That's awesome. That's incredible. That God looks at us and says, I want you to participate in something that is to come. You're to start over and be future focused because it matters so much. Be caught up on this age. Be a part of the age to come. And we should look like this dude and like the baby who cries out and says, I'm in. Jesus, what do I have to do? So now listen now. It's going to get tough. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He wants to be like one of these children picked up by Jesus and placed in his arms. And told, here, here's how you get there. But he's not a little child, is he? He's a grown man. It's going to be hard for him. And we're going to find out why. Listen as we read on. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's interesting when he's asked about this. Participate in this age to come. Jesus answers him. Jesus answers him by reciting the Ten Commandments. He gives him a list. He begins to say things like that, a path, a map, a road to follow. And, and you'll recognize some of these. Let me just read them to you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not, shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. And honor your father and mother. So Jesus, telling this man, the man looks at me and says, look, I just need the path. How do I enter the place where I'm supposed to be going? And this is so interesting to me, that this is Jesus' response. You know, that Jesus didn't look at this guy. He didn't just say, just come and follow me. He knew there was something here that he needed to address. So Jesus doesn't just say, just come and follow me. He says, wait a minute. Let's dig a little deeper into your story. So he starts on these, this list of the Ten Commandments, and the man responds. He says, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. All of these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, here's where I want us to stop. I want you to look really close at what comes next, because I think, guys, I think this is a part that we ignore, and I think this is a part that is so important to understand this story, how Jesus views this man how Jesus views you, what Jesus has come to do. Listen what Jesus says to him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And, and here's what I think about with this. I think about that Jesus wasn't writing this story. Somebody else was writing this story about Jesus. That this had been passed down to people as they asked about Jesus. I just imagine walking into a house and somebody says, have you heard about Jesus? No. Let me tell you a couple stories. So one day Jesus was hanging out with these kids. and People were bringing these kids to him and Jesus was saying, hey look, this right here, this is the future. This right here is the kingdom of God. And then guys, out of nowhere, this dude comes flying into the room, he shoves everybody out of the way and he says, Jesus, how do I participate? How do I get to be a part of this? What does that look like for me? Help me understand, Jesus. Jesus recites these Ten Commandments and starts to give him the list. And the guy looks at him. He says, Jesus, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I have followed all of those since I was as small as these kids. Right? I've done everything. I, I've done it all. 
And then it says that Jesus didn't say, well, I love you. Good job. He looks at him and loved him. That somebody in that moment looked and they were able to see on the face of Jesus as he looked at this man that he loved him. So much different than the way that he looked at the disciples who he was indignant with. They didn't want the little children to come and he was indignant with them and somebody saw that. These same disciples say, we were wrong. We were wrong. We kept people from Jesus, but Jesus has an agape love. This love that transcends any other kind of love. And he had it for this man. See, it's easy to see a list of commands here. To visualize some kind of checkbox. To start to think about the ways that maybe we've fallen short. Maybe God doesn't love us because of that. But do you see this? That he's about to give, Jesus is going to give this man a very tough challenge. But he loves him. You have walked into this place today with a God who loves you. And when you come into church, when you develop a relationship with other people who are helping you learn to follow Jesus... You're going to be tempted to look at your life and say, there's been some places I've messed up. There's some mistakes that I have in my life. There's some things that I wish I could do over. Yes, of course. But you're not coming into a place where God is already judging you for that. You're coming into a place where God is already loving you despite that. And God is ready to pour his love out on you and show you there is a different way to live. Now listen what happens then after this. Jesus responds in a place of love with grace and truth to the man. One thing you lack, he said. Man, that's got to be heavy. Can, can, you, can you imagine for a second how heavy that would be for this man? <laughs> sure. You've lived like that since you were a boy. I get it. One thing you lack. What? What, 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 is, the one, what is the one thing? And Jesus says, he goes on. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Now here's, this is interesting. This seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? It's a very simple math problem, a very basic equation. He gave him the answer. Sell everything plus give to the poor. It seems like a super basic, simple equation that he could do. Right? He looks at him and says, that's it. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you're all set. And you would think the man who wasn't afraid to toss children out of his way to get to Jesus would have been willing to be like, sure, let's go. I'm in. I was all set to go. But look what happens next to him. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And again, the math seems simple, right? Sell everything and give to the poor. This man who ran up to Jesus, excited to transform his life, had the opportunity sitting there right in front of him. But instead of embracing this equation, the man walked away sad. He, he's seemingly trapped by his money and full of regret. He had great wealth, but it was like a chain on his legs that kept him from following Jesus. And all of a sudden, the man is full of absolute regret. 
In the Forbes article that inspired this series, uh, the article was called The Top Regrets That Mid-Career Professionals, I'm sorry, The Top Regrets of Mid-Career Professionals. Really grabs you, doesn't it? The Top Regrets of Mid-Career Professionals. Kathy Caprino, who wrote this, discovered this powerful regret after she interviewed people over and over and over again. And what kept coming out was that they wished they hadn't become so trapped by money. That somehow money had become a chain that had trapped them. She reported that people fearful of earning less kept jobs that significantly diminished their quality of life. Other people chased jobs guaranteed to earn more, even knowing that the pursuit wasn't worth it. So she said some people knew that they were in places that they didn't need to be, but the money chase was so good that they were willing to give up their quality of life to keep the chain around their leg. And other people were willing to snap the chain around their leg because they were so enticed by the thought of the quality of life. It's crazy, and it causes all kinds of regret. And reflecting on this regret, a couple of authors, Jordan Castillo and Jennifer Krause, said this. And listen, man, this connects. Money is never all about money. Although it boils down to dollars and cents in one sense, the bottom line is the numbers only work if at the same time you're always working to align what's in your pocket with what's in your guiding vision for your life. That's kind of interesting. So if you have a vision for your life of having four mansions, a private island, a jet, maybe a record company, you want to live large, but your bank account doesn't allow you to do any of the, those things and you've so bought into this idea that that's the life you're supposed to live, it's never going to match up. And it's going to cause all kinds of regrets about what if I had made this decision or this decision or this decision? What if I had talked to that person or maybe this person? Then I could have gotten this. Why didn't I invest in Google? I should have known. No, you wouldn't. Nobody else knew. But there are people literally sitting around going, if I had just known, right? There's an entire generation that is coming up. Do you know that the number one goal for the generation coming up for their career is not doctor, it's not lawyer, it's not even rich. It's, I want to be famous. Seriously. Our generation grew up saying, I wanted to be the president. Or I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to do something. They're going, I just want people to like me. That's heavy. We really need to invest in our next generation to show them there's a different way to live. We're going to have a lot of kids running around with a lot of regrets when they're adults that aren't able to capture on to what God is going to do in this world. See, this is the regret that we have. Or maybe, maybe you're like this man. You have all sorts of things that you want to do with your life. A vision for your life. To make an impact, to make a difference, to help people around the world. But you are so trapped by that chain around your ankle about the kind of house you're supposed to have, the kind of car you're supposed to drive, that is just dragging on you. And the vision for your life doesn't match what's in your pocket because what's in your pocket is being spent on things that don't match the vision for your life. 
See, that's what Jesus is getting to with this man. The tension is why being trapped by money is a big deal for everyone. And this trap, we get. Investment companies get it. Credit card companies get it. Payday advance industry people are very aware that the vision of our lives doesn't always match the numbers in our bank account. And they just live off the regret that we have. And this unresolved tension, this is the reason this man walks away sad. The vision that he sought for his life, a good vision. Did you hear that? A good vision. Don't, don't, don't look at this guy. Don't look at this guy and think in some way he is a bad dude. The story is not telling us that. This is a good man. This is a guy that is doing everything right by his neighbors. When you look at that list, you see that he has loved people the way he's supposed to love people. Jesus didn't say, no, you didn't. He says, no, one thing you lack. That the one thing you lack is that the vision for your life to be a participant in the kingdom of God doesn't match the chain that you have placed around you. The vision for your life doesn't match your bank account and your wallet. It doesn't match any of your financial statements. And the man says, then I guess I quit. And he gives up. Don't think the dude is a bad guy. I feel bad for him. But we have to also see this in our own lives. Now here's where this gets really interesting. This is where I think this is fascinating because it seems to be all about the math, right? The math is, take it with the hand, sell it, and give it to the poor. Except that's not the only equation. The equation that matters is actually before that. This is Jesus doing some serious word algebra right here. But this equation is how Jesus is helping him to see another math problem he's getting wrong. Now, check this out. This is, this is so... I, I just think this is fascinating, okay? The equation appears to be sell everything and give to the poor. But listen to this. The man was asking to participate in the age to come, right? And Jesus starts to list commandments to help him to see what he was supposed to do, right? He says, how do I participate? How do I be a part of it? And before Jesus gets to that one thing, he says, well, let me ask you something. Let me give you a list of commandments here. And Jesus lists out six of the Ten Commandments. And without missing a beat, the guy responds. Jesus, I've done all those. And then Jesus, without missing a beat as well, responds, one thing you lack. Now, one thing? I'm bad at math, but Jesus is worse at math than I am. Jesus was listing out the Ten Commandments. Ten Midas 6 equals 4. He listed six commandments. And Jesus says, there's one thing. And this is where this gets fascinating. This is where this starts to matter. One of the ways to look at the Ten Commandments is to divide them into two categories. Sometimes we refer to those as the horizontal categories. okay, And sometimes we refer to them as the vertical categories. Another way to talk about those is a way that Jesus talked about them in Mark 12, just a couple chapters after this. He says, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, what is that? That's vertical. 
Then he says the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Here at Southeast, we have a way that we talk about this. Love God and love others. Love and love others. And that's the way that you can divide up the Ten Commandments into commandments about loving God and commandments about loving others. So with that in mind, go back to our story for a minute. When Jesus listed the commandments, he listed out the horizontal commandments, how the man related to people around him, how he loved others. And see, this is so important that this loving others part wasn't the problem. when, When the man declared that he had kept these, Jesus didn't object Jesus never objected to it. This man appears to be a really good man. And this is where this is going to get really, really tough. Because you may say, I'm a really good person. I love people. I care about other people. I'm not mean to my neighbors. I love my neighbors. Hmm. He says, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Jesus conveniently forgot the other four commandments, the vertical commandments that have everything to do with our relationship with God. See, the problem, the problem for the rich man was not his lack of loving others as himself. His problem was a lack of loving God. His problem was not a lack of loving others. His problem was a lack of loving God. The rich man did miss one thing. The rich man had another God. His wealth, his status, his money was his God. It wasn't that the man didn't have enough money to participate in the kingdom of God. It's that the love of money was in the way of his participation. And this is why Jesus concludes this, with, with this exchange with a very strange story. Jesus ends it with this. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I think it's so fascinating that he called the disciples children. I think the reason for this is because before the rich man came to Jesus, Jesus was blessing children. Explaining how the kingdom of God belonged to them. He said that nobody could enter the kingdom of God if they weren't like children. And children don't have possessions. They don't have wealth. They don't have a love of Jesus inhibiting them from following Jesus. They can simply jump in his arms and trust in him. This grown man had all this wealth like this camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. He said, it's ridiculous. There's too much on it. It's all got to be unloaded because you have another God. In a letter to a young Christian named Timothy, Paul echoed the warning of this story. Listen to this. He said, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That's heavy. (laughs) Like That is like... He just lays it out. Like, I love, I love that I'm reading this and I'm not telling you this. Because if I just said, you know, those people who want to get rich, you know, no, nah, I'm reading the Bible now, all right? I'm reading Paul. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, and sister of God, and brother of God, and woman of God, flee from all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. <laughs> Listen to how he ends it. Take hold of the eternal life for which you were called. Take hold. Man, it is breaking in. The kingdom of God is breaking in to this present age, and he says, grab it. And he says, the problem is there's too many of us walking around with all sorts of stuff in our hands, and we see the kingdom of God. It's right in front of us, and we don't have the guts to drop what's in our hands. We sit there and stare at it and say, no, I have a God. I'm fine. Man, that looks good. I want to participate, but I can't. I want this. And we sit there, and this tension creates in our lives that causes all kinds of regrets, that causes us when we age up to look back at our lives and say, what was I doing? I had all sorts of other gods and the opportunity to participate in something amazing, but I couldn't drop the things that were in my hands. He says, drop them. Let it go and take hold of what God has before you. The problem wasn't the man's ability to love others as he loves himself. It was loving God as God. See, some of us say, some of us say, why well, I have other gods. I'll think on that a little bit, and I'll think about the other gods that I have, and I'm just going to tell you, as an American Christian, your other gods that you have have been paid in full by the wealth of our nation. And I'm just going to be straight legit about it. The other gods that we tend to say, well, no, 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 I want to talk about money, I want to talk about money, I want to talk about money. Come on. We're 90% richer than the entire world, no matter who you are. And the gods that you have have been paid in full by the wealth of this country. We have other gods, but they're all paid for by one. That's what this guy is struggling with. That's what this guy is wrestling. This is what we have to wrestle with. This is what Paul is trying to tell us. Don't lose faith. Don't let go participate in what God is doing. I want to see heaven break into my world, into my life. I want to be a transformed participant in the kingdom of God. I don't want to walk away sad because I've committed my life to other gods. See, the, the, the invitation, this is how I wrote it down, the invitation that you've been given is to discover, explore, and live out the way of Jesus in the here and now. And while that path is an invitation, it is a challenge to take a hard look at our lives. Do your priorities, desires, and assets line up with your vision of following Jesus? Or have they become chains and roadblocks and weights holding you back from experiencing real life? We're going to close with communion this morning. And I, I get we're running just a couple minutes late, but we're going to close with communion. Because this table represents the body and the blood of Jesus. Jesus, who gave his all to rescue 
to redeem, to make it possible for you to take hold of the eternal life that God is breaking into your world. He gave his life. Yet we hold on to other gods. This is a place to come and to reflect and ask ourselves, maybe I am loving God, or maybe I am loving others. Have I truly given my life to loving God? Let's pray. Father, as we close up today, as we come to this table, Father, God, I recognize that this is an incredibly hard conversation for us. Father, this is hard for me. God, as I think about all the ways that I have paid for other gods to go before me, God, that instead of choosing you, I've chosen other things, God. Father, I, I ask that you would help us to reach our hands out with the things that are in our lives. To drop those things, God, so that we can take hold of you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. The band's going to sing. Um, this table is open to you. If you've got to run, I get it. The kids are doing their thing and you can go grab them. If you can stay and worship with us, stay and worship with us. But this table is open for you. This banquet table that represents the eternal reality of God in our lives that we can take hold of. So come accept. Come here and accept. Jesus gave his whole life for you. Reflect on if you are ready to give your whole life to him.